Hemshechayim Beis, Volume One, up to Chapter One Twenty Four. And it's really a; uh, these are key chapters because they're like a summation. You can say a bridge between the different sections of Ayin Beis, especially now that this is the last mimer of the first section of Ayin Beis, which began Shvuis. Tafresh Ayin Beis, which is Shavuos 1912, and concludes now in this Maimer, Vayigash Tafresh Ayin Gimel, basically from, you can say, June 1912 through December 1912. Then the Rebbe Rashab went off, we usually travel in the winter to Europe, and the, the Hemshech would continue and resume Shavuos Ayin Gimel, which basically means between uh, December another six months. So this is Vayigash, this is the 31st discourse. And just for the record, I should also add a good, nice piece of history, is that this is the last Maimer that we always had. Hemshechayim Beis always existed, in Kupir it was called. Kupir means that the Rebbe had given it to be copied. In those days what they did was actually they had Maitikim. A Maitik was someone who physically copied from the original uh, manuscript, and copies were made. So everyone had, Amshachayim Beis was in Kupir, my days in Yeshiva, even before the Rebbe published it, the first, 34, first 31 discourses always existed. So till then the Vayigash was always there. After that, it did not exist. And the Rebbe first published it was, as we've discussed many times, in very uh, so-called mysterious circumstances, Yutas Kislev, Tav Shalom, Zion, so exactly uh, 25 years, uh, 35 years ago. Right? Right, 35 years ago. Hamad Zayin, Mem Zayin. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 35 years from from when the Ayin Beis, uh, from when, uh, when we started it. Basically, 65 years after it was delivered, the Rebbe published it, as you all know, the Sikha Yutas Kislev, with all the cautions and the challenges. So clearly it's a, a, a crucial uh, component. So I just wanted to give a little background. So we're now in the middle of the 31st discourse, chapter 124, page 240, Nesh And just give a summary because of the last chapter that... Uh, so he, mapping out, we'll call it mapping out the, the spiritual order. Or you can say the spiritual building blocks. Spiritual genome. That's a good word. Since we're t- we'll talk a little psychology in terms of this, mapping out the unconscious, the spiritual unconscious that gives, that uh, energizes and brings to life conscious existence as we know it. So what's behind the scenes? At the tip of the iceberg on, on the conscious level, on the outer conscious level that we experience. So we experience existence as every one of us experiences. We have our sensory tools. I'm going to work our way from the bottom up. We have our sensory tools which we observe and perceive existence. Everybody. You don't need any level of intelligence. As long as you have healthy eyes and ears and taste, touch and smell, we have five senses that experience life. You either see it, you hear it, you taste, you touch and smell. But it doesn't take much to, to scratch the surface and realize there's more going on than meets the eye or meets the other four senses. For example, things like love, pain, I don't mean physical pain, 
um, psychic pain, um, things like ideas, all feelings. These are all not experienced through empirical senses, but they're clearly real. And they're actually more real than the other things. The, su- the others are superficial. Love, or well, the lack of it, can destroy a person's life or can build a person's life. So how do we experience that? We need other tools. So we have also, call them other faculties, we have a mind and we have a heart. We have moichen amidis. We have keiches anefesh. These keiches anefesh can observe, can analyze, can perceive, can dig deeper. The question is, is that, is that, is there, is that all there is? You can say, okay, fine. The answer is no, because we know that the faculties themselves are also shaped by forces that we cannot directly perceive. We perceive them through extrapolation, as the Rebbe Rashab calls it, Yudhiya Sashlila. On the basic level, we're not talking on the highest levels. We extrapolate that if something is affecting your conscious mind, then there must be something behind the curtain that is shaping it. And where, where do ideas come from? Where does Chochmah come from? So in terminology, Chochmah through Malchus are the faculties, the conscious faculties. The perceived reality that I was, began with through our senses, that's even lower than the faculties. That's as the faculties manifest in Briyitzir, Nasir, Chuluchnis, Gashmis, and Chumris, all the way the crass uh, world that we live in, which has Levushim and garments. So our senses really relate to things that even the farthest, even the, the heaviest and thickest garments do not conceal. And that is the reality we see. The trees, the birds, the sky, the earth, mineral, vegetable, animal, animal and human being. These are the pieces of existence that we can relate to because after all the cloaks, this is what emerges. But as you start digging inside... The ten building blocks are the ten faculties in the human being or the ten spheres in all of existence. But that's conscious. What does the unconscious look like? Or what is behind the conscious? That we call Keser. And in Keser itself, as he spoke, there's two levels. There's Atik and Arich. Arich and Atik. Arich, you can call it the unconscious, and Atik like the un-un. What do I mean by that? That Arich is one step right behind the curtain. So it's, it's still concealed. But it's not fundamentally beyond us. Atik, from the word netak, as he said, is removed. It's fundamentally beyond. In the faculties themselves, the way they described, we learned this earlier, in the faculties themselves, you have keiches gluim. That's when your mind is actively at work. You're thinking of an idea right now. You're feeling a feeling. A feeling of love, a feeling of, of uh, humility, a feeling of gvura, uh, withholding. Repelled or attraction. Attraction and repulsion. The arich behind that would be where does that conscious idea come from? So for Chachmah would be Chachmah Stima. Chachmah is the counterpart of revealed conscious wisdom on the other side of the curtain is Chachmah Stima. If you go deeper, where's Chachmah Stima come from? You're going already now, not into Kachas Nalamim, not concealed faculties, you're going into what we call core faculty. Now it doesn't even have a shape and form. Now applying it to where we are here now, where we're discussing now, the Rebbe Rashab is tying it all together in the interface and saying that Sphiris, 
which is really the building blocks of all existence. There's ten spheres, as of the ten, the Nishtal Shlomehen, as Tanya says, into our ten faculties. But there are also ten building blocks in all of existence. So the same ten faculties inside of us also rule existence. In a sense, that's what makes us Oilam Katan Zaadam. Microcosm, macrocosm. Everything out there is within here. Everything here is out there. In macrocosmic fashion. So the ten spheres have three definitions, or four, as we've added now, in this last chapter. The three are number, story, so misper, sipur, and sapir, brightness. All three names, all, all three interpretations of the same name, the same word. So it means that the spheres themselves carry these three elements. So you can actually say that the misper part of the spheres is like the tangible reality that we relate to. Number, you can count it. Yeah, you can tell, as they say. You can touch it and count it. The Sipur is already telling you a deeper story. What is the story, like he said? First, it's the story of the faculties, the story of the ten spheres, the revealed spheres. The Kalim revealed, the air. You know, every container is an energy without, and you don't see the energy, but recognize it. Then it tells you, Machshavis Nalamis, it tells you that there's secret, there are concealed thoughts, which is like the unconscious, like Chokh we learned. And then it even tells you there's even beyond that. But the beyond is already comprehensible, it's more or less inaccessible. But you know the story, the story reveals to you. Maven Dover, Meteh Dover, like he said, from Yediyas Achiyuv, by understanding something well, understanding wisdom well, you say, well, what is hidden wisdom? Whatever wisdom is, it's not that. So you learn from that, you can learn the so-called grandeur, as we said, the hafla, as he put it. That's Yediyas Achiyuv, that's Arich. And then we come to the third interpretation, which is Sapir. What is Sapir really doing? What, what the first one is more the tangible number, more so-called structure of existence. And the story is like the interface that starts telling you there's a deeper story. Sapir now is starting to eliminate the veil. It's starting to be able to create transparency. That instead of seeing, you know what, you could see this world and realize there's a power within the world. That's like the story. But what I start realizing, that not just realizing and perceiving there's a power within, you begin to really relate to it because the veil is trying to become transparent. So in Sipur, in Sapir itself, Sfira, Behirus, there's the levels. It begins first, the containers reveal the energies. Then we go deeper that the Panimis Akelim is real Sfira, Behirus, because Panimis Akelim are like translucent, like the eye, like a glass. So matter is now becoming more transparent. Matter is becoming more refined to the point that it can allow the energy through. It would be like an example, let's say, on a, on, when you have a special spiritual experience. So your material world is less of a veil. I mean, this is what we say is Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Yom Tov, Shabbos. These are days in the year or places in the world. You go to the Kaisal, for example. You go to a holy, a shul. What makes it holier? There's less veils. That's what it means. There are less garments and less containers that block it, or the containers are more refined and more translucent. Well, for example, when a person fasts, some people experience, I don't know if you've heard this, what they call the master cleanser. You know, people go on this liquid diet. Master cleanser, it's called. It doesn't matter. Bottom line, when you fast, you take drink only liquids for a few days, you'll see your body becomes light. It's like when you eat thick foods and all that, it weighs you down. Your kelim become grosser, bottom line. 
And there are times where a person is far more refined. So, for example, the human being itself, when you look at someone's toe or heel, you don't see much. You look at a face, a face is much more of a translucent container. It's matter, it's the same but physical body. It's skin and eyes and, and a forehead and, and cheeks and all that. Yet, a glow can come through the face. You say the eyes are the window to the soul. The fingers are not. Because you could find examples where matter, the containers themselves, are becoming more refined. Then he moves from primis akelim to air. He says, real brightness, you want to really see something clearly, you've got to go straight into the energy itself. So now we're talking sphere, the real meaning of sphere behiras. The third interpretation is in light, is in energy. And from energy he moves, not energy within Atsilis, within the containers, energy that's higher than Atsilis. The energy in the containers that are higher than Atsilis, like he calls them the engraved letters. Engraved letters are already an expression, but they're now made of the same substance of the energy itself. So if the stone is like the energy, the letters are letters made out of energy, not letters made out of ink, to use that example. And then he moves even further and says it's not the containers, even Sachkika is still letters, and some ways still create a shadow, and they're still not the full expression of the stone, or in this case the energy. You want real pure energy, the purest, you've got to go to the cloth itself, which is the, the backdrop, the canvas, which is a simple, clear, plain, shapeless, white light, white energy, which has not yet even been shaped into a letter. It has the potential for all letters. Anything can be made on it. It's like the infinite possibilities. And that is the level what he calls Atik. That's pure Ayur Atzmi. What's Atik? Atik is essentially as pure as it gets, but it's one step below the core. It's not the etzim, because the etzim you can't even define by that category. So even in psychology, many people think the unconscious, if I get to the unconscious, I get to the real you. No, the real you is beyond unconscious. It's not even unconscious. You can't even call it a state of being in that sense. It's just who it is. So er atzmi, the atik, is still a levush. It's called hoid. Hoid v'hader lavashta. However, it's a levush only because anything outside of the core is already a, some type of garment. But in the world of revelation, it's pure revelation, it's pure energy. Whereas Hodor is already a step away from the pure energy where the energy is already beginning to be expressed. Like he said, how the king is experienced by others, not his inner majesty. So there's the king himself, there's his majesty, his inner majesty, there's the majesty as experienced by others and in details is Hodor, and that's still not yet ten spheres. There will be rooted the ten hidden spheres. So that becomes the Eir Pnimi, the Shadish of the Eir Pnimi is, as he put it, that is the canvas, that is the cloth. But it's already a state of Pnimi, and higher than that, as the end of the chapter, last chapter, is Eir Hablik Vomamish. Shaloyai Dei Kalim, the Bechina Zula, the Sefer. And this adds the fourth interpretation, the level of Sefer. I've still not gotten to the bottom of it, but meanwhile, Sefer and Sapir sound to me right here, based on what it says, as the same level. He does not distinguish between them. So we can speculate that the distinction, that why do you need two names, obviously. But meanwhile, he has not yet distinguished between them. But there is a fourth name, Sefer, referring to essentially the plain white um, uh, cloth. 
Now, as I distinguish, Klav here is being used differently than two chapters ago. Here, it simply means, it's referring to, Klav here for all practical purposes could be the stone. He's not suggesting here written letters as opposed to engraved. He's suggesting here a state that is beyond any description, any manifestation of, of, of letters and so on. Okay. It's like the shlemus, not shlemus, I don't know if that's a good word, but it's like the mm. ultimate letter. No, I would not use that word at all. Because there are no letters. It's ultimate energy is the right way to put it. A letter is an expression. When you say a letter, a letter is an expression. Letter and keli are the same word. Oasis and kelim are the same. It's the ultimate energy. I mean, an example for the whole thing would be, as I said many times, when you read a page... So there's a point where you see the letters and you realize that they tell you an idea. There's a point you get so immersed in the idea that you don't even notice letters. In the deepest levels of thought, you're not realizing that you're thinking with letters because the letters are so submerged in the idea that just the energy is flowing. So I know it's a cloth is not letters at all. It's beyond any letter. There's just two levels in it. There's a level where it's just completely beyond anything. And it's like he says, Sevel and then there's a level where it begins to become the beginning of the so-called the source for the ten spheres and so on. It says clearly, cloth is air, the air that's what he says clearly. So if you want to visualize it, you could think of it this way. Obviously God doesn't need all this for his pleasure for his uh, creation. He wants us to, want to create a system that we can relate to. So we may never have an answer, we'll never have an answer why logic is logic, why is logic that we know is logic like this way and not another way. But clearly that's also an expression of the divine essence. But he created in a way that makes sense. What makes sense? So just like an artist begins with first the artist, then comes all the infinite possibilities of different art, and then he envisions a certain particular piece of art, then he takes a blank canvas and begins to draw on it. First he draws an outline, and then the details. So the same thing is here. There's a state where you have the white canvas, which is essentially the white field of energy, the plain field, the field of energy we talk about, is the canvas that God, you can say it's like the web, uh, they call it in the, the imagery used in physics, is like the string theory, where everything is like an invisible quilt, you know what a quilt is? Like an invisible blanket. Think of all of existence, one big field of energy. And everything we experience is like pieces on that energy. But the blanket is there, which means if someone moves the blanket, the whole existence is affected. It's not a bunch of particles. So imagine, like, you know, you'd see a whole bunch of pieces, but you don't see that. They're all lying on something. So you see the pieces. But they're actually lying on a field of energy. And the field of energy is moved. All the pieces move. So the world has an integral unity which is essentially what's called Eden Sof. Eden Sof is the backdrop upon which all of other existence is created. This is actually a chiddush of the Alter Rebbe. Talking about the Alter Rebbe, in two weeks is the 200th yard site. So the Alter Rebbe in Samach Vav, he says, It's actually from the Samach Tzedek. It's one of the chiddushim of the Alter Rebbe in Eden Sof. The Kabbalim all, all were grappling with what is the first step outside of Atmos. And the best they came up with was Keser. And they debate whether Kesser is ain't safe or Kesser is a sphere. And there is a reconciles that says it's both. Atik is so-called, is a reflection of ain't safe. 
And Arich is a beginning of existence. And the Alter Rebbe there, Vayelech Samachvov, he explains, the Alter Rebbe comes and adds a concept of Eir. Now the Eir exists in Kabbalah before, but not seen as such a vital component. It says Eir ain't Sof. In Eir ain't Sof, everything emerges. But Kesser is where things play itself out. And the Alter Rebbe added the idea that Eir ain't Sof is really the first state where everything plays itself out, and even including Kesser. So therefore, Erein Sof, in its deepest level, is rooted in Atmos itself. Eir is a real interface between Atmos and existence. So the first step of Eir is Gilui. So ultimate Behirus, true revelation is that. Now why is it called Behirus? It said because because compared to the source, it's already some form of expression, some form of manifestation would be maybe a better word. Atmos never manifests. It's uh, called not Nitfas. So with that being said, that's what we finished learning chapter 123. And uh, we continue now. Chapter 124. Page Now he's going back to a question that he asked in chapter 83. Literally 41 chapters ago. Chapter 83, if you go there, he says... How could there be a schalkus of spheres of Kesar Chachmabina in the level of Bleak Vul? Go back to page, page uh, chapter Pegimel, bottom of page Kufnun Ches. It's very relevant here. Because here is now answering this question. So I'm going to read the question from there. So we'll have a real flow. Then, of course, is going to be the thing someone's going to ask. Why do we need 41 chapters? Why didn't you just skip from 83 to 124? But, as we'll see... Huh? If not, he would have to ask another 100 questions. Very correct. Correct. And you'll, we'll see very clearly why he had it to have. You'll see, that's why I summed it up. So let's go to the question. So before, if you look a little earlier, one second. Okay, I just want to point out, in, in chapter 80, people have been confused by this. A few people have asked me about this. In chapter 80, he asked the question, we find 10 spheres in the Gulim. 10 spheres, Igla Kesu, Igla Chochme, and so on.
So that was a different question with a different explanation. Where he said that the truth is that there is a qualitative difference between one and the other. Here the question in chapter 83 is the big question. How is there could be? So I'll read the question. So there's a distinction in their level. And we talked Bligvul, there's no distinction. The whole point of Bligvul is that there's no distinction. Since there's no distinctions, how could there be ten spheres? Acha Inyan, he says, the Bayan Shah Dad in his barrel, the Bayan Shah Shalifni had Simtum. An infinite divine light higher than the Tsimtum, Shalamaila Messiah Agnus, it's higher than the ten spheres. Find a bait and self habligul share gamkin spheres. That also in the air abligvul in the transcendent energy that is beyond beyond structure, there's also spheres. The fishinus air vigili al kaponim, because it's already air vigili. It's some revelation. It's a critical line. Every revelation has to be through spheres. The only thing is that then there's no number to the spheres. But there's spheres. I'm reading back from chapter 83. That even the spheres are also in a form of bligvul without limit. Without parameters. Being that the pshittus meaning the seamlessness, the shapelessness, is the cause for the unlimited spheres, the commandment unto chad v'leib like the Maimon, like it says, you're one, and not a measurable one, not accountable, because he's fundamentally one, that's why the spheres are not the chuzman. So what he was saying, there's spheres, but there's no number, there's no structure, but there's spheres. Mamela spheres gufem b'chines pshittis. So the spheres themselves are in a form of shapelessness. And this is the big question. How could spheres be in a form of shapelessness? Seamless. The whole meaning of sphere, seemingly, is parameters. It's How could it be a sphere that should be without a type of shape and structure? There's no more chairs? Yes. Huh? You're right? Okay, fine. And to explain this, this is the main, this is the question on the table. So to explain this, to explain this, we have to understand Shem Sphere, and there come the 41 chapters that explain what Sphere is. Because clearly, to up to that point in chapter 83, Svira, we're not really clear what it means. What is it? Is Svira a structure? Or is Svira a lack of structure? So he says, every gili comes from spheres. You already see he's setting up the answer. Every gili comes from spheres. But it's no number to spheres. So how is that possible? So that comes to teach us that sphere has a whole deeper meaning. And then he goes through the three explanations. That there's one meaning, number. And Taka, that doesn't exist in Bleakville. The second meaning, story, and that also doesn't exist in Bleakville. But the third meaning, clarity and brightness, that does exist because, as we just learned, compared to the Etzem, the real revelation, where does 
Bilti Mitzis Nimtza, a non-existential core essence of the divine, manifest, that's the first manifestation is going to be Eid Habligvul. And that is where there are spheres, but sphere from the word behirus, brightness. So therefore we did need an explanation because we need to understand what spheres are on the lower levels to understand what it means in its purest form. And that all comes to answer how there can be as spheres, how can there be in a transcendent energy distinctions. Remember, transcendent energy is like rotsen, desire. So when you speak about wisdom, when you speak about emotions, there's levels. There's chesed, gvura, there's in chesed itself, more love, less love. But when you speak about the level of desire, rotsen. Rotsen does not have, a, does not, is not measured, has no gradations. Since there's no gradations, how do you say spheres? So clearly sphere has another meaning here. And clearly it's going to become, the meaning is going to be revelation. Gili. Now what I wanted to make the distinction before was in chapter 80 in chapter 80 he also asked the question aren't there 10 spheres in the Gulim? But there the answer was and the question there was different. There he wasn't talking about actual uh, um, spheres in an eagle. He was talking that there are levels There's, for example there's, there's the Gulim of Kesha there's the Gulim of Chochmah there's the Gulim of Ak there's the Gulim of Bri Yitzir Nasiya. So he's not talking about that the Bligvul itself has levels. It's that there's levels within it all. And there he explained, because the truth is all those, or that the, the, the true distinction between things is defined by uh, the, great, the, the hierarchy. By the hierarchy. And in Pnimi, in imminent energy, there's a fundamental difference between Chachm and Bina. But in Kesa, there's no real fundamental difference between the Kesa, the highest Kesa, and the lowest Kesa. Because they're all dominant, transcendent energies. Just a matter of measure, of quantity. But qualitatively, they're the same level. In Primis, they're qualitatively the, 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 the different levels. That's a different... Yeah, that's a Shnashlok Sam. That's a different discussion. Here the question is, but we find spheres in, in the eagle in themselves. We find, we say that in Kesa, in eagle, there is Kesa, Chochmah, Bina, and so on. So the answer is now coming out to the answer. That's why I wanted to go back to because he says there, you see, all called Gili, they spirits. He read, the Gili is in the form of Pshittis. But Gili means Sphira. Sphira means Gili. Sphira doesn't just mean number and story. The meaning of Sphira is Gili, and that answers the question. On the contrary, According to this, we'll understand Sfirah because on the contrary, according to the explanation that Sfirah is, according to the definition of Sfirah, from the word brightness, Behirus, the primary brightness is where? It's specifically, but in the plain field of energy that has not yet been colored by anything. Where is the most, where is the brightest form? Is The brightness itself is the brightest. Everything else is already a diminished level. Definitely Kalim, Pnimisa Kalim, they're already outside, they're not the pure reflection of the divine. They already are somewhat diluted and um, a hybrid. Now I should add, of course the obvious question, what do you mean hybrid? Who, who made them hybrid? Is it, don't they all come from God? But we have to go back again. That's Atmos is beyond it all. To create existence, there's really two things going on. There's energy and there's containers. 
there's that's called energy is a divine expression, and containers is the identity and the personality of what God wants. So yes, of course everything comes from God, but the personality identity focuses on the shape and parameters of that particular personality. So right now, for example, each of us sitting in this room, each of us has our unique individuality. That's exactly the way God made it. Ein day Sein Shavas. No two people are created alike. I'm not talking about what we impose man-made problems or man-made distinction. I'm talking about how we're born. We're born differently. That doesn't, that's, that's a good thing. But at the same time, we're created by the same force. So how is that possible? The answer is because God is not limited. He's, not, he's, he's, not, he's as close to distinctions as he is to unity. He's neither defined by one, he's not defined by many. He's beyond both. So he wanted both. So there's one energy that is a uniter, which is the commonality that we have, the mutuality that we share. And then there's the distinctions. So the, on the highest source, the distinctions focus on the distinction. If we were all focusing on what connects us, we wouldn't be our individual selves. On the other hand, just individuals without a connector becomes chaos. Think of the human body. We have all the different organs and limbs. We have the 75 trillion cells and counting. I don't know if I got that number exactly, but it's an estimation, I guess. And then you have the captain of the ship, something, some coordinating force that's telling all the bodies, the healthy, you know, healthy human being, they should all work together. So Kalim even though it's also a godly power, and in some ways rooted even deeper than Bligvul, but its focus is on a specific thing, not on the whole picture. Eda Bligvul is the first, if you want brightness in its purest form, you want to know divine energy in its purest sense of the word, you go, like he says, the Legalis, to reveal everything that could be revealed, you have to go to Eda Bligvul. So where is real Srida Behirus? The deepest meaning of it is in Eda Bligvul, in the infinite, shapeless, seamless, energy because that's a revelation straight from the core you know it would be interesting psychologically speaking what would a person look like if your core was revealed without any dilution without any uh, distortion without any colors what it would look like you know, etzim hanefesh. So the etzim itself can never really be revealed. Etzim enim is gala, enim is pashit. But there is a dimension of expression that is as close as possible to the core. So the example Chassidus usually gives for this is a, a, is a parent at a child's wedding. And, and another similar times when there's a certain deep simcha that just transcends all the regular structure of your containers. Now, I'm not talking about under the influence of any foreign substances. That always tends to uh, to play around with the structure of things. But uh, yeah, but there is a thing called gili etzim nefesh. I mean, by us we usually define in times of mitzvahs nefesh and things like that. But the bottom line is there is that dimension. That's the purest expression of you. Frankly, it doesn't mean that it has to be expressed. It's not. It's, it's meant to stay where it is. But it is as a dimension. It's the purest form. Everything else. That's the canvas upon which everything else will be painted and colored and, and written. The ink will come afterwards. Even the highest levels of the ink, meaning the first, the first concept of letters or the first concept of expression. So there's, you could think of, it as, think of it like an unconscious blanket, an unconscious quilt of energy, just a field of energy, which is the purest form of expression possible and doesn't have any shape and form at that point. And then on that, upon that will begin to emerge the, the other levels. Where do they come from? They obviously come from the source that also has the ability to create letters. But 
he, but, but, but he gave us both. He didn't just create letters. Like I said, if God would have jumped and not created, if there was no bleak vul air, and we just jumped straight into air hagvul and a structure, the artist would go straight and create one painting, we would never be able to know and connect to God himself. We would only have the God within the letter or within the painting or the structure that we know. The key here is that we have distinction. We each are individuals, but we can connect to something that's beyond the individual, beyond the parameters. That's the purpose of this. And that's where real spheres, in the meaning from the word behiris, from brightness, plays itself out. And this is the spheres that are in Eirein Sof. So Eirein Sof itself, obviously, is a field of energy and there's no spheres altogether. But spheres in Eirein Sof is Ispashtus Eir. In that field of energy, there is spheres, meaning brightness. Like we learned before about Heid Vahadr. The Heid is Etzimaer. So there, right now he's saying there's no spheres. Where is the spheres? In Eir is in Hadar. Here we go. And Hadar is already the extension of the energy. So now we have the core energy and we have its extension. Its extension, he's saying, is defined by spheres. But it's not a lavush like we spoke the other garments. The other garments we spoke about were lower than containers. They conceal. When you put on a coat or a jacket, you're concealing. You're concealing your body. You're protecting it from the cold. You're concealing it from others. Containers, on the other hand, are, are conceal, reveal as they conceal. Now we're talking about a lavush that's higher than air. Why is it a lavush? Because compared to the etzem, which is beyond revelation, you need something to express, like the air kesalma. So that's, so that's what this is. So this lavush, this is lavush air. This is essentially a garment of light. A garment of light. Not a light that manifests in a garment. L- the garment is light. So God's garment is light. So the now garment takes on a whole different meaning. Right. The garment is light. That's, that's the faculties compared to the soul that's in the body? I don't know. That's the... No, Psari so, you, you mean Psari as in the faculties? No, as a mushroom for us to come to understand the government. So, you ask me where that level is? Where the faculties are? No, because you put that the, the faculties are lower. Faculties are structure already. Faculties are the structure. No, to this, the earlier faculties were Kalim, the Kalim. So it's clearly that's not talking about. He's not even talking about the air in the kale. He's not even talking about the power of, of the energies in the faculties. He's talking here energy in the soul itself before it even comes close to the faculties. We're not even talking faculties left. Here we're talking purely, that's why I said it's the core itself that is beginning to just manifest. That's what he's saying here. Let's put it this way. If you were able to, dis- if you were able to visualize it, um, I just saw an expression from the Tzamech Tzedek, very interesting. He said, that the best example for Eris and Kelim and is Neshama and Guf. Or Neshama and faculties. The soul is the energy. And it manifests in containers, which is the body or the faculties of the soul. He says there's only one difference. In Eris and Kelim and the air can leave any time. Neshama cannot leave any time. And then, then he goes on, he says, but imagine we could imagine that you could at will take your soul out of your body and out of the faculties whenever you want, and then you could bring it back. So then you could visualize what Atzillus looks like. Why am I saying this? Because if you're able to visualize this, I mean visualize, I'm talking about conceptually visualize, visual concept, you'd see like this. What we have to always begin with what we know most. This is a, this is a, 
a little methodology I'm going to share with you. To understand things well, to start talking about things you know nothing about, is usually the biggest mistake. Start with things you do know about, and then move your way from there. That's called extrapolation. Because you're working with a point of reference. I often see, you see sometimes people say something, they explain something, they even repeat something they learned. And they may be brilliant. They may give you the mathematics of it. But then you realize, you start asking a few questions, they don't understand what they're saying. They're just repeating. And they have it perfect. Like they can tell you, there are people who can tell you exactly the map from Atmos all the way to Asir, because they know it. They know the mathematics of it. Just like there's some people know it at Tzadik Beni in Russia, and there's Ten Kreches and Levushim. But imagine someone talking about, okay, there's a conscious guy, there's an unconscious, there's an un-unconscious, there's a Tzadik Beni in Russia, there's Lamatas Malachas, and there's uh, the B train and the C train and the number one, two, three train. All in one sentence. A lot of information, right? But anyone knows that put that all in one sentence is ridiculous. There's no one at all. Just a bunch of lists, like a grocery list. I don't know if you ever go shopping for your wives, but you know, when you go to a grocery list, like a woman knows the difference between one section and another. Men have to like say, okay, where is this? And what section is it? You know what I'm saying? We, perhaps it's, it's technical like that. You know the difference between now a man and a woman uh, scramble an egg? You know, make an egg? So a man, he has to make an egg. So what he does is he locks all the doors, shuts off the phone, and starts, you know, making an egg, and then first egg falls on the floor, and then finally this, then he turns it over and falls again. And the woman just has no problem. She makes an egg, she has a, she's on the phone, her baby's crying, she's multitasking, you know. I don't know how I, how I got off on a tangent. Maybe I'm hearing all the kids, so I'm just... Uh, but let's go back to the world that we're talking here. In other words, a woman's more eating self-leasing at symptoms, and a man is more the, I guess, the cav. Aiden and Kalim. But the point, I'm, the point I'm making here is that the first thing you have to begin with what you know. What we know is, on a very basic level, we, the, we, we're, what we know that ostensibly we know the, what we tangibly know are the, are the revealed conscious faculties. I have my hand here. Everybody sees my hand, right? I take a pen and write a letter. What this is training us is how to go from what you know to what you know less and understand it with the same clarity. That's the point. So the same clarity, okay, I write a letter. What is a letter? I write words. Words are ideas. Now ideas are harder to understand because ideas are not so tangible. But you're climbing. Why am I saying this? Because the point that I, the point I was making was that... Um, um, what was the point I was making? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, so if you're able to dissect it, what you see is the nisham in the body, all you know is that we're alive. You're walking... You're talking, you're breathing, you're moving. Clearly there's an energy force. God forbid, a corpse can't do any of that. Everything's there. The body, everything. Could be all intact. No damage even. But there's no energy in it. So the equivalent of a machine that has no... Uh, uh, has no... Uh, what do we call Has no... Uh, um, what's another word for electricity, you know? Buzz, not buzz. <laughs> juice. That's the word. No juice. So you can have a thing. The thing is inanimate. Then there's the juice. There's the energy in it. And if you continue on and say, so what does the soul look like when it's not energized? What does juice look like without the machine? We know what a machine looks like without the energy. We even know a machine looks like with energy. What does the energy look like without a machine? It's far harder to understand because we are machine people. You know, we think things in very tangible, concrete forms. But that's why it's very, really hard to visualize energy. But you could visualize it because we see its effect 
on the machine. So clearly, what is it like in its purest form? In its purest form is basically not in any way diluted. Think of a teacher. You have a great teacher. You're in kindergarten. You're learning olive base. Okay, fine. You've grown. You now know words and ideas and you know how to read. But you realize your teacher is far beyond you. What is the teacher's energy like on his own before he's teaching it to you? So clearly, he's definitely not having the examples. He doesn't need to bring it down. So if you can go to the pure, pure, all the way to the source, to the mouth of the well, the source itself, what does energy look like there? That's what he's saying here. It's just a field of energy. It's undiluted. You can't call it chesed, you can't call it chach mabina and so on. What you call, say, it behirus. It's clear. And that itself, he says, there's two steps. Etzema'er really is just the concept of energy, to really put it. God has so-called manifested in existential terms, as opposed to non-existential terms. And then comes Gili, his pastor, but this is a lavush made out of energy. And even the ispashtus is also a giliatsam. Now you may say, so what's the difference between etzem itself and giliatsam? I'm not sorry, I'm sorry, between etzem air and ispashtus air. So he discussed before, Hayden Hodder, one difference was the king in his own majesty, where he doesn't have any need or any connection to anything outside of himself. Hodar is already details. Hidur, Revam Hadis Melech. It manifests, it's expressed. There's a nation, they're crowning him. They stand in awe of him, etc. And uh, and he continued, that's Atik and Arich. One, you access through Yudhir Sashlila. That's the lower level, his pastors. The Etzem is beyond that. Now you could say, well, how, how do we know there's an Etzem? Why don't we just jump from his pastors to Etzem itself, Etzem Ayer? Was as I said, just like we know, conscious tells you there's an unconscious, unconscious tells you there's an un-unconscious. So if there's an expression of majesty, you have to know there's a majesty that's beyond expression. So right now, when we say Sviris, Behiris, clarity, we're talking here, Hodar, not Hoid. Which is interesting. Yeah, we're not talking about the pure cloth. You're not talking about the pure parchment. You're talking already a parchment that's manifesting itself as some form of expression. Can't really envision it, envision it in cloth because parchment is just parchment. That's what he's saying right now. Okay, so, so here's where there's spheres. And because it's a spastus, it's an extension. That's why it's possible to say spheres there. That means the revelation of energy, which is the idea of sphere. And this needs a little explanation, because once we could argue, one second, isn't Etzimer also a lavush from the core Atmos? So why is that not Sfira? Because there's no revelation there, that's why. So in other words, what are we talking about here? I'm trying to give a, a, a visualization of this. There's no revelation on the parchment either, right? Right, one second, one second. Etzimer is Pastor said, I gave the example yesterday, let's just use the example of the sun. There's the sun itself. There's the light of the sun that is, extends from the sun, which reaches us, which ultimately reaches us. And there's the sunlight within the sun. Now you have to say, like he says in Shaykh Damona, if light is reaching us, extending to us, you have to say within the core there's light. Or else where is it coming from? But is the light in the core of the sun similar to the light that extends from the sun? 
The answer is no. Not only in intensity and a quantity. It's a fundamental, a different level. Like when you say the sun has the power to create, to, to emanate light. It's, not, it's a whole different thing than saying that there's sunlight, that we feeling warmth on our skin when the sun touches us, or we see the daylight when the, when the sun rises. What, what does it mean? It means the sun has something called a power to give off light. And in its first level, it's already not the sun, because the sun is a body. The sun is an actual body. Light is going to extend from it. So Etzema Air is essentially the place where the core meets or the interface between the core and the expression of the core. So there's what's called the etzem. It's already a revelation, but it's not yet an extension. I'm trying to find a few other examples of this. There must be good examples for this. Let me think for a second. I mean, in Seichel, the example would be, when you sit down to try to perceive something, there's really a few stages going on here. One is that you are, your mindset is one, I'm now going to try to concentrate on something. But you haven't yet concentrated. Even to yourself I'm talking about. Then you begin to study it. That's already some type of an extension. And then when you get to communicate it to someone else, it's even a further extension. My point is that there is, there is a state of etzema air before it becomes an extension or an expression. So we're basically saying that there's etzem is the core atmos. That's beyond it all. Then there's etzema air, the mere fact I'm looking back in the late previous chapter how he says, It's almost like, I think it's almost, you can almost say it's the Kriyachagili. It's like the power of God to reveal whatever he wants to reveal. That's like the Etzema Er. And the Espachos Er is when he's beginning to actually manifest in a form of expression. Yeah, it's a very subtle level, but it's a critical component, critical level. It's not the soul itself in the human being, and it's not the expression of the soul. We're not even talking about the faculties now. Everyone gets it. That has hard lost me. It's not the expression of the soul. No. Like in between, so to speak. Yeah, it's like the light inside the sun. Is the soul getting? Let's put it this way: you can't get to the expression without. The, uh, uh, earlier, earlier, a few chap- a while back, he explained it in, 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 in cognitive terms as following. He says there's co- conscious cognitive skill, conscious awareness. Then there is, I call it unconscious, quote whatever word you want, which is the source of your mind, your intellect. But it's a source. Then there's a level that you can't even call a source. He says, you can't even call it Makra Seichel. He said that clearly. Why? Because it's how Seichel is in the soul. What does it look like? I'm not saying it's an exact example, but that would be an example where one thing is already an expression and it's just not revealed yet. And the other is not even an expression, but it's the power of intelligence within your soul. Then that manifests in, let's call it an unconscious a, a collective unconsciousness, unconscious, <laughs> and that in turn seeps in, and let, a drop comes in. That's chachmagluya. When you have an idea enter your mind, so so there is that. There's that. There's like that, what, this is what he's calling etzemer and there. Look, this is this. Uh, trust me, chassidish classes over the years. 
sometimes hours and hours, if not days and days, if not months, to understand the difference between Etzimeir and Spashtaseir. Because we're not even talking now ten spheres. There are many, many examples for it. Cloth is the pure cloth, the pure white light. Maybe another example for it is not exactly, but I'll give the example he gave earlier. Remember he spoke about that there's a state of no colors altogether? There's a state of colors and there's a state that's eingeven legeven, between color and no color. And that's white. Clear white, transparent, is a state between the two. So let me ask you, so what does it look like, a thing that's completely beyond color? The answer is, I don't, we, have no, we have no idea because you can't even talk about it. White, you could say, okay, it's not a red or blue. It's plain, it's vanilla, it's, it's, it's clear, transparent, but it's transparent. The reason I hesitate to use the example, because there he was talking earlier that love on there is chachmeh. And beyond love and beyond white is keser. But the truth is, now that he's talking that pure brightness, is the highest levels. Yeah, you could say love on there. Okay, you could say it's the highest level. Actually, you could say it. That arich would be, hadar would be color white. It's a plain color. And the level before that, you can't even call a color. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the state. You, I, I, for all practical purposes, to make things easier, I would call it right now conceptual light as opposed to actual light. Conceptual energy as opposed to actual. Even though God doesn't need all these things, but let's put it this way: He needed to conceive of the concept of being revealed before He actually starts revealing Himself. Because remember, He doesn't need revelation, so He needs to will it. The will is first the concept. So in anything, you can always talk about the concept. Let's say in mathematics, and I have a, mathematics is the concept of numbers, and then there's the number. There is a concept of something. And if you don't have the concept, if you're in a state of being that's completely not, not in your realm, you don't even have the concept in your mind, you're definitely not going to get there. Like no, concept is not formula. Not formula, not formula at all. A conceptual, it's called conceptual numbers. Theoretical Conceptual light as opposed to actual light. Seed? No, 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 no. We're, we're higher than the seed. We're, we have to go into a place that's beyond the seed. A seed is already a, just a matter. A seed is arich, not not more than arich. Because a seed is just a matter of time, and you'll see. It's just you know, it's just a matter of understanding. The seed. Yeah. What about what? What you talk about a second before the seed? And the reason this is hard is because we do not exist on these levels. You see, I told you, we exist on tangible levels. It's hard enough to figure out what a seed is, let alone a second before the seed. Can you relate to your neshama, the soul, before it comes down into our body? Before the moment of conception, what was the soul like? So these things are harder to understand. Let's continue. We'll, we'll, we'll be discussing it many times. Let's just see what he says. But uh, gave some examples. Hopefully it was helpful to some extent. The key is do not use your, your regular or conventional tools or else you, you're doomed here. You have to remember, we think things are always in terms of tangible and we travel to the intangible. Here you're talking about something that's beyond anything and traveling now into becoming something. So, you know, we say yesh ma'ayin. Why is it yesh ma'ayin? Is it nothing? No, because we think this is something and for us that's nothingness. But if you think of it from that perspective, that's everything and we're, we're nothingness. So, what does that look like? 
Remember, he said even you use Ashlil, you can't get there. So think of it like this. There are things we know. There are things we know that we don't know. And there are things we don't know we don't know. That's what we're talking about. The things we, know, we don't know we don't know. Because as soon as you know you don't know it, it's already Yudhiyas Ashlil, that's Arich. You've, you've come from your knowledge, you've come to understand there's something beyond my knowledge. But what happens, you come to a point where you don't, that's beyond, you're beyond your knowledge. We don't know, we don't know, but we can still talk about it. We are. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about it. We, we're realizing that we are a very small little... You know, the example, one of the examples, I remember one of the first examples I heard from Abiel in understanding, we spoke about how do you understand levels of Ainsaf. Either it's bleakful or it's not bleakful. So he repeated what he heard from all the chassidim when he was a student. So you know the example they say, Rab Hill said that uh, Rab Hill is infinitely distant from a cat, but compared to the Rebbe, it's a machzadik. Rab Hill and the cat are equal. So what do you have? Levels in infinity here, right? So the example they gave is the example from numbers. It's actually a very powerful example. So I'll use it here because I think it could help. And you'll see, we could talk about it and still realize how far it is from us. So, so there's a thing called the, the, the set of finite numbers and there's a set of infinite numbers. It's an actual mathematical concept. What's finite numbers? Well, the numbers we know, misper. One, two, three, four. Tell me, where's the set of finite numbers end? There's no end. Because there's no last number. There's no place where finite jumps into infinite. From compa- compared to the infinite set of numbers in mathematics, it's a, it's a sideway eight. Okay, compared to the infinite one and a trillion and trillion trillion and as far as you can go, you know, technically you can sit right now and start writing one, one point one 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 one, and the only thing that will stop you is if you run out of ink or you you run out of life. Yeah, so you can go forever. That's a finite set of numbers. It never will go suddenly. You're going to hit infinite. Which means that from the perspective of the infinite, one and the trillion, trillion, trillion are equal. Why are they equal? Because trillion, trillion, trillion are a bunch of ones. They're just a lot of ones. Infinite is infinite. It's a completely qualitatively different jump. Okay. But, here's the question. If you asked infinity, you said, tell me, are numbers, um, are numbers relevant to you? Are they, do you recognize with them? Are they proportionate to you? Infinity would say, depends what you're asking me. If you tell me one and two, three, four, no, they're all equal to me. But the concept of numbers, yeah, because I'm also a number. I just happen to be an infinite number. So in other words, the weakness or the lack, you could say the deficiency of a finite number compared to an infinite, is what it's not. It's lacking infinity. It's a finite, not an infinite. But what it is, it is. Infinity cannot say that finite numbers don't exist. It could say... Finite numbers are meaningless to me because their number is very small compared to myself. Now let's talk about not numbers. Let's talk about um, love. Ask love. Tell me, what do you think about numbers one, two, three? Love will say, I don't really know what it is. Does it mean anything to you? No, because it's not even in the world of numbers. So what the Chassidim would say, how they explained it would be like this. So what's lacking in the one and two, three is not just what it's not, but even what it is has no value. So here you have two levels of so-called enarech, two levels of distance. One, there's distance between two things, and it's infinitely distant, but you cannot say that what it is, it's not. You can't say its value is no value. 
in its world it has value. Then there's a level where even what it is is meaningless. So when you talk about um, yes, it's infinite compared to the, the infinite possibilities in an artist to create one, one part of art. You ask him, this one piece of art you made, what is it compared to what you are like an artist? He'll say, I can create infinite amounts. But he cannot say that this piece of art has no value. Because it's one of it's coming from an artist. But what about if you go into the artist and say, the level that he's not even an artist yet. The level that he's a husband, a father, a, a, a human being, a Jew, whatever. And say to him, what do you think about this one piece? And he says, one piece of art. It's meaningless to me. Not because I can create infinite, because even what it is, I don't know it's, it val- it's meaningless. It's completely valueless. Even what it is has no value. So that's a level that is beyond... Now, can we talk about it? Yeah, I just gave you an example. But even Yudhiyas Ashlila, infinite Yudhiyas Ashlila. Infinite, you could say, I don't know what infinity is, but I know what finite is. By extrapolation, I figure out, infinite is not finite. But go to a world that doesn't even recognize infinite or finite, that says to you, infinite and finite are equal to me, and not only equal to me, they have no value, even what they are, that's almost, that's almost impossible for us to comprehend. All we can do is really, like, imagine it. But the fact is, God created us. So we are able to imagine that too. That's why we talk about Atik. You could ask a question. You just said Atik is Yudhiya Sashri. So why are we talking about it? The answer is, number one is, that the Tater revealed, Atmos himself revealed it to us. And number two, you can't talk about it directly, but ultimately you could. When Maishu asked God, show me your face. What God said, I'll show you my back. We see neither of the two. Because even the back was a big chidush, right? So what do we see? Because the back was like Arich. Hashem said, I can't show you my face, but I'll show you my back. I'll show you something that's infinite beyond you, but you can comprehend it through Shlila. Then Atik is beyond that altogether. We, even though we learn Panile Yero, also that can be achieved by not looking. But that's even more than not looking like Shlila. So Yudhiyasa Shlila is still a process. Like you can say, you know what? I'm going to learn a subject matter. I'm going to count 49 days, and then I'm going to come to realize the 50th I can't count, but now I can relate to it because I did the 49 steps. Then there comes the 51st. We can't even relate to then. How do you get that? So Back to Aveda, back to Davening. No escape. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just giving some examples, there are many, many more. But the, the beauty of, this, of these exercises is really, as I said yesterday, I say it again and again. this is coming us to train to think differently. And therefore to speak differently and to act differently. If we really relate it to some of what we're discussing now, trust me, Lashon Hara and pettiness and the stupid things we're involved with have to become less important. Simple as that, because this is you're talking reality here. You're talking about brightness. You want to know reality? Go into Etzimeir. You know, so next time someone comes over and says to you, "Listen, um, I read something on COL and it's bothering me or something," say, "Listen, let's talk a little about etzemer, and I guarantee it won't bother you so much." So you have to start seeing this as reality, and that as what it's for nuisance, nonsense. Now I understand it's adir b'tachtein, and we have to also refine that level. But you know, <laughs> let's first start on this level. I feel cleansed when I read this; it's very pure. What do you think, Elias? No? Liquid diet. It's far purer than most of... For that alone, it's worth it. Okay, fine. So you remind me of the story that I said from uh, Yisrael Nevler. 
where, uh, you know, a bunch of guys a few months ago called me, they want for Brink. What time? Okay, 11.30 will come. I said, what are you going to do till 11.30? We're going to go get some pizza, we have a few other things to do. And then we're going to come for Brink. Not that I'm against pizza, but it was just it was interesting, the the, 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 the so-called uh, schedule. So, so, so I told them, they said, so I told them, I'll give you a Fabring right now on the phone, you don't even have to come here. Um, I heard this from Yisrael Friedman. He heard it in Poking from Yisrael Neville. Yisrael Neville was a chuzushid, sharp yid, very sharp. So the Rebbe Rashab once told him that he should stay up Thursday nights to learn. You know, so there's a Mishmer night to stay up. Okay, the Rebbe says to stay up, he's up. But you know, sometimes you, it's a long night, you get tired. So what he would do sometimes Thursday afternoon, he would, uh, he would uh, prepare by lying down and getting taking a nap. Now the Friedrich Rebbe took meticulous attendance of who went to Temchit Mim. So, and he used to go review it with the Rebbe Rashab. And they see Rishol is every every few Thursdays. He's, he's, not, a, he's not around. So uh, the Rebbe Rashab called him in and said, My hi, you know, what's going on? So he said, the Rebbe, the Rebbe said it's just to be up at night Thursday night. Uh, so sometimes you have to like, uh, you know. <laughs> So the Rebbe Rashab says, "What's Mainster? As from schlafen, can and come into nicht schlafen? You know, that's what he said. What do you think? That from sleeping you can come to not sleeping? So I told him, from eating pizza you're going to come to fabring. That's not, not that's not going to work. The Gera Rebbe, I don't know, compare it all, but you know, there's in, in Yerushalayim, there was this there's the scrap of a Rebbe in the Meir Sharim, and he was known for making excellent bedlach. You know, bedlachar, beans. You know, this was his." Every Rebbe has its has his uh, you know power, has his unique. <laughs> so his bedlach. So he made very good bedlach. These type of beans and right Friday night they were especially good because they were warm still and they were like you know well cooked and all that. So some bochum would come back from the coastal, they would stop by him and eat bedlach, ate these beans, and then they would go on to the get a, some get a Rebbe's tish table. So uh, they came onto the table, <laughs> and uh, one of them burped at the table, you know, because he ate so many bedlach, he burped. Yeah, so the Rebbe Tzamech Tzedek said, the Gerer said to him, the Gerer Rebbe says, Beblach es tu bam grepever, und grepts und kums to da. You know? <laughs> the Beblach, the beans you eat by the grepever, and here you come to burp. <laughs> you get the visualization of it. Now, all on spiritual levels, I don't know the difference between Beblach and burping, but I don't know, I don't think it's Etzmeir, it's Pasha, so that I can tell you. Most of us have bodily needs. That's fine, but you don't get the word. The word. I, I get, I get okay. the word, but I don't get why this guy who needs to take a <coughs> You know, it's like mocking him his level. I don't know. <laughs> he took it in his stride. He took it right well. He took it well. If the Rebbe tells you to stay up, it doesn't mean that you should sleep. It's not right. He's telling you, I'm giving you the power to stay up. I'm not telling you to sleep another. You know, it's like you push, you push the doll down here, it pops up here. It's it's uh, a. <laughs> uh, anyway, so etzemei is say If anybody has any examples you want to bring to the table, hey, this is meant to be a form. You know, hopefully I'll put up online summaries of this. But the, the, look, it's good. To, it's, as I said yesterday, if this causes you frustration, you're in a good place. It means you're beginning to feel tense. If you feel it's all comfortably, easily, guaranteed you're not understanding it.
So the first thing is to know that etzimei is pashtus. Is pashtus itself is pretty hard to understand. Etzimei is almost impossible to understand. But you can understand it through extrapolation. That's what I'm saying. Think about it. I told you, go work backwards. You know your soul's impact on you. Now try to figure out what the soul is like on its own. See how far you can go. And you see where you get. And that's it's a process. I'm not I'm not you know, we don't have to master this. It's not about mastering. This is about submitting ourselves to it. And allowing it to emerge. That's the key. Even that is not what we're used to. Yeah. I think it's similar. Extrapolation is similar. I don't know the words. I use extrapolate and, 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 and no, no. There's, there's the shlila of shlila. That's what I meant. Where do you go after you get this? It's extrapolation of extrapolation, like that. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a common one. People ask me often. I've said this many times. Where does the soul go after 120 years? You know the question, the big question. And and I always say that the whole question is based on a, an, an arrogant assumption. The assumption is you you are where it's at. So you wonder where the soul goes. Maybe it's the other way around. And I use the imaginary dialogue between a refrigerator and electricity. When they, the, the, the electricity, the refrigerator asks the electricity, where do you go when they pull the plug? And the electricity responds to the refrigerator, what kind of arrogant question, where you came from? Your little box they just invented 100, 200 years ago. They, they confined me inside this box to refrigerate food. Now you ask me where I go? I go where I always was. Where'd you come from? You're you're the you're the shmendrik. You're the new uh, guy in the block. The the because of the ingel atzutzik, yeah atzutzik, the little child. I go back where I always was. I wasn't confined t- by by the time and space as you understand it, but you'll never get because you only know your box. I, I, I've said this to so many crowds. No matter who, believer, non-believer, secular, everybody relates to this. As soon as you say it, they right away get it because everyone says that's exactly right. What would, a, uh, what would a box say to electricity? And what will electricity say to a box? You suddenly realize we know very little. We know a very small picture. And the real question is coming from above. I don't know what that means, what you just said. I said what I said. I'm saying that the box can't tell you what electricity is like. Where the box came from. Yeah, how do we get it from? What difference does it make? But one thing is for sure. We're definitely not. The electricity preceded us. Of course. Uh, one thing difficulties I have with this sort of stuff is that it seems to me that whenever you have a contradiction which comes an impossibility, and you start looking for an explanation, <coughs> what you seem to do is explain phenomena, bridging phenomena, and show that this and this and this and this and this. There's never actually an address of the question of causation or, or how things actually happen. There's never a dynamic of causation. It's always a description of phenomena at different levels. And therefore, when you have a problem, or well, there's something between, and you read it all, and you make a finer division, and finer refinement, like you said with the Sapa Sipa, or Super, and so on and so forth. So when you have this sort of contradiction, so you say, oh, this is this, this is this, this, then you get an impossible meaning contradiction there. So you make another Sapa Sipa division. So at all times, what you're there for in Baylor doing, you're actually describing phenomena, but you're not really describing an actual act of causation. The mechanism of how it actually happens, and at no point is that these sort of actually extrapolated somewhere else. Can I take another thing? Yeah. You know, one of the things that when I sort of struggle with this question I'm asking is when I look at this question about the Moichin and the Cyrus, so to speak. Moichin and Cyrus. Cyrus yeah. 
We know that the soyus is a thing. Now, I take from a physiological point of view. We know that there's a connection with motion and soyus. We know, for example, that someone has a stroke up on its own. The hairs from that part of the body will fall out. Now, how we actually have the actual connections, nobody really quite knows. Because there isn't really a neurological condition. And there isn't really a, a, a hormonal condition. So the point is that there are some sort of mechanisms, however, that seem to be, but we can't really define them. And what research and stuff tries to find the mechanisms of how you transform from the end of life to the other life, and that's what a lot of research is trying to do. But we never do that. We never actually make that, I don't, sir. I don't, I, I can't stand making whatever. So, how you actually make this transition from the end of life to the other life in a way, in a mechanism that makes it actually, so that all you do is when you get to the difficulty, you actually split it again and you make another, ah, this is this, this is this. So then this question still comes out, how does it happen? You don't, so I guess they should, does it? Okay, but then we never really actually... I hear your question loud and clear, and, and I'm sad to hear that, that that's your experience. My experience is otherwise. I think Siddhis is not meant just to give you another no, level. I'm asking, I'm just asking the... No, 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 I'm saying what you're saying is accurate. Where, the way it's learned is very much like you just described. There's another level, another level, another level, and you never hear the process of how one level draws into the next or extends into the next, the process, the, the, the causation. You describe, describe the properties of this level this level. Exactly, I'm saying, I'm saying. Therefore, this cause of it, but that's a different question. Hold on, oh, so, what, so I'm responding to you. I'm yeah. saying to you is I agree with you, that's the way it's taught. But that's not the way it's written. The whole point of understanding these new levels is to understand causation. It's to understand how to draw from there. So when you, for example, in this case where he says there's spheres in Bligvul, and then establishes, yes, Svira has another meaning called brightness. And the, the goal of this, and this may be what we call Avoida, is now how do you draw from the brightness into, how do you draw from the, let's call it what he's calling here, the shapelessness into shape. So that's, that's absolutely causation. I would say that's Avoida's Achsidus. And unfortunately, Haskola of Achsidus is taught the way you described it, more like a map. Here's this, 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 this. But let's be honest. I mean, any science. First you learn the map, and then you learn the causation. But then you look for a frame of reference, which actually links it to... Okay, but I'm, but I'm saying to you, that, but, we don't, we don't, but we don't have to be stuck there. I'm, I'll give, I'm going to give you an example of causation in this discussion. Okay. And, and I think in every discussion, everyone understands what he's, what he's talking about? Yeah. So it's like, it's easy to say, okay, there's... Now the question is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the question is, why are we being told this? Let, let, let's start with that. The Rebbe Rashab did not waste his thousands of hours writing this, because he was just trying to, he had nothing to do with his uh, quill, and he needed to paint some paintings. Right? He's, he wrote this as a blueprint for life. This is, a, to me, an axiom, before we even open the book. So if this is a blueprint for life, it has to be causation related. It has to be, what do you do with this now? So, first... So I, 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 any line we learn, and this is, like I said, I was, it's a tragedy that in Yeshiva they didn't teach. First of all, they didn't even teach us how to understand it in any relevant terms. That's the first problem. Then they, most importantly, they never taught it in a way how to understand it as a blueprint. How do you follow that? What are the, at best, you know some mechanics. That's what you're asking. So I will say to you, that's the, that's the critical way of learning this. So that the goal. So I'll give you an example. The reason, the causation now. Let's talk about the causation. So the first thing we need to do is we're talking here of the highest possible levels. So right away we're dealing with a, a reality that's almost impossible to really 
um, discussed in any type of intimate detail because whatever we know is only what he tells us. Okay, okay, so that's where I'm going to now. So let's bring it down to something we can talk about and I'll show you how I see the causation. And you tell me if it satisfies what you're asking. Um, one of the examples he keeps using is the idea of how ideas become uh, manifest, how ideas become tangible. That's one example. You know, abstract ideas are in our mind and then they become shaped by words and letters and we can actually communicate them. You can teach it to someone. That's one of the things he speaks about. So he speaks about all the levels of it, how it's in the furthest, or the, the most simple expression to, let's say, a child, all the way to the way it is in the essence of the mind of the teacher. And, or many, many, many levels. All these levels you can apply to that. There's etzema er, there's haid and hadar, there's etzema er, er, and then there's the eris and the kalim and atzilas bria, the whole picture. That's one example he uses in understanding all of this. Okay, fine. Um, so I, I want to use that example because I think that example we can talk about. And let's use it as a, is there a, is there a blueprint here? Now that we know all these levels, what can we do with it? How can it help us improve our lives? How can, let's, let's, let's start with communication itself. Um, so what is the process? How, from a, a type of so-called abstract place, it's called a collective unconsciousness, suddenly an idea called Chachma falls into your head. It could happen in the shower, it could happen right now, it could happen thousands of times a day. And that Chachma then turns into Bina, to develop it, or let's say one out of a thousand maybe develops into a fleshed out, until it can actually become an idea that's put down on paper. You could even make a business plan, and build a business that make millions or billions of dollars, like a Google. It started with a concept. It started with an idea. I'm not getting now into the mazel of it and, and, the, 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 and that stuff. Idea that, you know, did it change the world? I mean, it changed the world in one way. You want to take Einstein. Maybe it's a better example, because that's like physics that's actually changed scientific theory. Take the Alter Rebbe. I mean, whoever, whoever you want to take, take someone who changed the world in some way. They went through this process. Now, most people say this type of process is complete, either grace of God or luck. You know, that Henry Ford came up with the idea of a car, or that I'm saying this was just a stroke of luck or a stroke of, of whatever, chance. Now, besides the fact that people of faith will say this, nothing is just by chance. There's, you know, Secondly, everyone knows nothing just happens. Even if you need a mazel, but they also did something. You know, Einstein did develop a theory. He didn't just sit... And then do nothing. He developed the theory, worked on it, and then presented it. So we have to assume, and I'm, I'm, I'm not just assuming, I'm taking this as a given, that the creative process from the deepest unconscious to actual action can be, uh, is a formula. There's a formula for it. And when you follow the formula, you can actually replicate and create causation, as you put it, where you actually can generate, you can stimulate the deepest unconscious level, well, it will generate energy, and that energy will start flowing through. Now, in, these, in this actual page here, he doesn't yet talk about the causation. I would call that Davida. But I'm going to give you an example which is related to this discussion. And I'm glad you're asking it, because it's a good challenge, and it's very important that we discuss it. I just want to say that, even if he doesn't discuss it on this page, to me it's a given that's where he's going. All this has to be relevant to us to be able to replicate. There's no different than a, a scientific experiment. If this cannot be replicated in our lives, it's, it's frankly meaningless. What do you mean replicated? Not to discover the levels, 
that this level, knowing that there's an Eir HaBligvon, Eir HaGvul, changes my life. If it doesn't change my life, there's no way I could relate, there's no way that the Alter Rebbe and all the Rabbeim came to, to give us all this without helping us change our lives. Why would they teach it to us? It's not just to keep our minds busy with other spiritual things so we shouldn't get into trouble, even though that's also a good objective. But it has to be a blueprint. So here's a, here's a perfect, here's an example. I've used this, I've used this with secular people. And obviously, this requires, in my opinion, requires a serious work. This is a life work. This is a magnum opus. You know, I'll just say as an aside, I'm of the belief, the Primus Atera was in Nizgala just recently, relatively. It's a few hundred years. Arizal, but let's say this Chabad, seven generations. Not a lot of times. 200 years since the Altar Rebbe. 200 years in the scheme of things is pretty, pretty, pretty small. If you compare it to Nigla, what is seven generations from the time Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi compiled Mishn- the Mishnais? Seven generations is basically Chesimus Shas. It's when Shas ended. It's the seven generations of Tanoim and Amaraim. There was no Rashi. There was no Tesfus. There was no Rishenim, no Achreinim, no codifiers, no Rambam. How would we learn Torah if we were now seven generations from the time of Shas? You'd have to either be a genius, one of these top scholars. You definitely would not be uh, understand it the way we understand. I mean, they understood things, I guess. They understood what Rashi writes without Rashi. Chassidus is in that type of infancy. Chassidus is meant to be a taste, an appetizer of what we're going to learn when Mashiach comes. We happen to get seven generation appetizer. That's the difference. So we're on stage where there's no Rashi, there's no Rambam, there's no Rashi, no Achrein. We have raw doctrine of seven generations that has not yet been turned into a blueprint. Halach has been turned into a blueprint. It may be lacking the Neshama, Without Primus Atayr, but it's a blueprint. You have thousands of hundreds of thousands of from Jews following this blueprint to the crazy detail. Let's not use the word crazy. Obsessive detail of every shear and mitzvah that everyone's doing, not even necessarily knowing why. It's a whole uh, system that's been codified called Shulchan Aruch and so on. And we down to the down to the arguments that we all have about it. So this is not even close. No one's even arguing about Chassidus nuances because it hasn't even been exposed. Seven generations of raw. Doctrine, literally like Mishnah and Gemara, without anything else. Now I go back to that plank. So that's why I think what you're asking has not been done because no one's, very few take it that seriously. And secondly, most people don't have the, the tools and skills to, to apply it. I've told this to you when we met the first time in Melbourne. I said, people in the world of psychology. Neuropsychology, yes. Huh? Exactly, and the physicists and the other scientists. So now I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take one strong example. Yes, I'm going to take one. That's exactly what we talked about 15 years ago, right? 20 years ago. Right, okay. Is that long? <laughs> Who's counting? Well, in the scheme of things, 1975. Uh, is is uh, what 1970? 30 years ago. Okay, so so it's 30 years closer to to the Alter Rebbe, basically. So 170 years from the Alter Rebbe. Yeah. You guys are going at 40. Okay, 40 years. So basically 160 years from the Alter Rebbe's yard, and now we're 200 years. Okay. Um, it's like uh, things are moving very slowly. Uh, <laughs> the recipe is rolling along. Uh, so anyway, but I want to say the following. I'm gonna I'm gonna give one example that's related, and I think it's very related here. And, and I'm using now a little Samagvav and Ayin Bey's mixed, because they speak about it. Earlier he spoke about these two levels of Atik and Arich. He explains in the words of Helam Sheyeshne B'Metzius, Helam Sheyeshne B'Metzius. Then he talks about the Sipur, revealing the inner story. So he says like this. The, the example is the Surah Halamish, which is the Flintstone. 
and the shalhevis and the gachelis, the coal, the hot coal. So a hot coal, you look at it, it's hot, you know, I have no clue. It looks white. For all you know, it's just a plane. But when you fan it, immediately see. If you touch it, God forbid, you're going to get burnt. A flintstone, you throw it in water, the coal will burn, will extinguish. A flintstone has a spark within it. You touch it, there's no heat. You uh, throw it in water, it doesn't extinguish. She so explains this is Helam Sheyeshin Mitzias, Helam Sheyeshin Mitzias. Helam Sheyeshin Mitzias means a coal that is alive and flaming is revealed, it's conscious. The unconscious is so-called the coal that is there, but it's concealed from your eye. You just need to fan it. And then there's a state within, this, within I guess, the psyche and the soul that is a potential state. The spark is there, but you need something to release it. So he says in Samarvav, what are the two methods to release the inner spark that is in the un- unconscious, the Helam Shein He says one is Yigia, and the second is Kabbalah Sel. One is Exertion, like striking the stone. How do you get a spark out of the flint stone? You got to strike it. That's what he compares to Moshe hitting the stone the first time, and compares to this to also to Shvir Saluchas breaking of the of the tablets, which brought the second tablets. And he asked, how could the second tablets be higher than the first? They brought us Shas, you know, the whole Talmud and everything. Chaytaniskar that a sinner is rewarded. So he explains the whole mile of Truva that it's breaking the stone. So exertion. When a person sits, and this is the whole biggest sword in Samarvav, Yegiyah, when you break your head in trying to learn something, you're breaking the stone, you can release an unconscious energy that would never be able to be released if you were just, you know, uh, what to call it? Floating, you know, smoothly. So we're not floating, you know. Uh, cruising. Cruising, cruising, exactly. Cruising, cruising. The second thing he says is Kabbalah sale. When a person does something that he doesn't want to do, that also opens up the unconscious channels. So let's, let's apply this to causation by learning that there is a helm shenim, which is like he says, learning there's a hoid, not just a hadar. You're not just learning another level. You're learning that even if your so-called unconscious state is not accessible, whatever, let's say it's been damaged in some way. Let's say a person's been hurt. Let's talk a little psychology. Somebody's been hurt in life. They went through a terrible divorce. They grew up in an abusive home. And at this point, they don't want to go into a relationship because they've been hurt. So what do you want to teach them? You want to teach them that there's a place, there's a deeper place within them that's not been hurt. And if you can access it and allow it to nurture you, it can compensate for some of the lack of nurturing you may have gotten on other levels. So what we're taking now is we take from a level of understanding a new level, he's not just sticking in, you know, who cares with this bleak, with this spheres and bleak vul? Who cares? That makes a difference. Who cares if they're spheres and bleak? There's a reason. Because if they're spheres and bleak, it means that I can access it. If there were no spheres and bleak, it would be a domain that's inaccessible. It's God's domain. Fine, God. God can create bleak, gvul, He does whatever He wants. I can access it because it's spheres and I have spheres in me. So even my number, even spheres as a number, can access the story. You know, here's another example. Just amazing. I told the story about the story. So we talked about... Um, you know, the, the story about it. What's the power of a story? Or the power of a You know, we all know, song has power. But what's really the power of song? Look, today's generation. Song today is, in my opinion, has replaced religion. A rock concert is a cathedral. Stars, rock stars, stars, music stars, pop stars are priests. 
the Grateful Dead maybe embodied it most. And they even brought the incense and uh, and uh, offerings of different sorts, right? Um, why? Because music is the language of the soul. Music is the language of the soul. And if you want to use it well, it can actually be a healing force. What does it do? It accesses the unconscious. It accesses forces that are the helam sheyeshem mitzias, the helam sheinu b'mitzias, hayden hod that I'm saying here, and you can draw them out. Now, the reason I, I used the example of the story, but I said before with the story was, they tell the story, by the time the Baal he had a custom that he would uh, go before Rosh Hashanah, light a fire in a certain field, say a prayer, and ask for a new Begven Shdiyar. Okay. The Magid, the next generation, they, he, he went to the same location, but he didn't know how to light the fire the way the Baal did. So he would stand there and say the Tfilis. The next generation, the Talmidim HaMagid, the Talmidim of the Magid, they knew the location, they didn't know how to light the fire, they didn't know the prayer, so they would just stand there. And we don't know how to light the fire, we don't know the prayers, we also don't even know the location, but we know the story. So we tell the story, and when we tell the story, we can achieve what they achieved through their actions, because that's all we have. That's the power of a story. So you talk about Sipur. I'm talking about Spiritus and Lashon Sipur. Why do we, what, what's the power of telling a story? You hear Chosid telling a real beautiful story. Yeah, besides the, the nice story, everyone likes is touched by a story. It helps you connect a place that's pure inside of you. And the Pulnam Shechis is the key thing. Everything is follow-up. They say, you know, inspiration is easy. Maintenance contracts are far more expensive. To maintain it, if you can draw and touch somebody in a very deep place, as many people were touched by the Rebbe Sabrina, and I saw it. The challenge was a minute afterwards, or a day afterwards, like, you know, like New Year resolutions. But Chassidim, they say, you know, it holds from Esther Tanis Bizpurim. You know what that means? When something holds from Esther Tanis Bizpurim, means one day, basically. It's a Jewish way of saying it. So the key is, if you can touch someone in that place, and then give them some tools to access it, that it should actually generate and channel into our lives, then you're talking about causation. So I think what you're hitting is exactly the nail on the head. I couldn't agree more. But I have absolutely no doubt that all these levels are not splitting here. They're not here to tell us another level, another level, and then another contradiction, another reconciliation. It's basically meant, what he's doing here, he's mapping out a bridge. I would call it stepping stones. So if you have a stepping stone here, and a stepping stone here, and you have no way to go from here to here, the Rebbe Rashab goes another chapter and gives you another stepping stone. So you can go from here to here to here to here. I think when you finish this properly, you have yourself stepping stones everywhere. So there's no way that you can't make it. And to me, it's a model for life. Now, mapping it this way is a whole other story. That's next step. The first thing is you've got to know the, what the stepping stones are. But that's how I see it. I mean, I don't know if... I, I'm, maybe I'm completely off. Maybe your question meant something else completely. But it doesn't matter. There's an excuse to say what I wanted to say anyway. But if, that's off, if, I'm, if I'm off what you wanted to talk about, we can talk about that too. Am I, are we speaking the same language? So th- th- that's the question. Now, you may, right now, I think right now, look, look. I see, first of all, as I said, when you learn this, you have to always ask the question, who cares? It's what I always say in every class I've ever given to anybody, secular, religious... Who cares? Why are we learning this? Why should I care about this? Or to put it more bluntly, how can I? How how will life be? How is my life different because I learned this? I would challenge every Chabad Chosid to ask that question. Alter Rebbe Zyotzei is coming two hundred years. How would the world be different if the Alter Rebbe didn't exist? So now people right away will say, "What do you mean the whole world changed?" Blah 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 blah. Yeah, I, I understand. The platitudes are very easy to say. 
And you could say for you as a Chabad Chassid, my life would be different. But tell me, there's 7 billion people on the planet. Can you give me a good way of saying in 5 minutes on CNN how 7 billion people's life has changed because Alter Rebbe was born? Or for that matter, the Rebbe? Or for that matter, thousands of pages of Ayin Beis? Now, I've asked this question many times. Many people, when I ask this question, they think it's almost like irreverent or worse, sacrilegious. Like, how could you ask such a question? It sounds a little like apocursus. Frankly, this question to me is the deepest amuna. If you don't have that question, then all this is not relevant to the world. So what are we saying exactly? It's only relevant, circumstantial relevance to a few subjective people that grew up in Crown Heights or, or grew up in Lubavitch homes. I mean, so that's the question. And if you can't answer this question, it's a good sign. You know why? Because it means you know that you don't know. And many people don't know they don't know. They think they know. <laughs> so that's the first step to emancipation. To say, I really don't know. And now let's begin. So... Don't, trust me, I don't think I know better than many. I, I think I've learned more, but I think I asked the right questions. And I think you ask the right questions, you get somewhere. And you have to begin with that approach. I have no way, I cannot... Look, we all got a Yetzirah, Yetzirah Let's just admit that. Would everybody agree? <laughs> or the illusion of a Yetzirah, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, we all got two voices. So there's, there's no question. Like some, Someone came over to me the other day and said, I see you teaching Ayin Beis, you really believe all this? You know, I guess I have a reputation out there. So I said, it depends which side of my uh, heart you ask. The Alter Rebbe already paskant. One side of my heart I'm a skeptic, and the other side of the heart I'm a believer. What, what, what kind of question is that? And what about you? You're like, well, both of your hearts have been taken care of? You know? That's, that's obvious answer. The, the question is how much you're honest with yourself. So there's no question all of us have a part of us that's a total skeptic. You know, that's the way God created the world. He created an agnostic world. And he made it he made a challenge. And you have temptations and you have distractions, you have all the shtusim of Avelam Hazar. But if you're an honest person, you know that's one voice. And then there's another voice. I said once I said this I said the Rebbe once said in a Fabrengan that everybody's got flaws. The key thing is not to make a philosophy out of your flaws. That's the key thing. To know that I've got temptations, I got a Yetzirah, I have skepticism, or I have my own cynicism, that's fine. But but an honest person also knows there's another voice, and the other voice is maybe equally powerful, maybe more powerful. But the other voice tells me, the good voice that is, that if the Rebbe Rashab sat and wrote thousands of pages, too serious of a man to have wasted his time, God forbid. There was a reason he wrote this. And for people to say this is beyond me, to me it's basically like telling the Rebbe Rashab what you did was a waste of time. Because we're not on your level, and we don't get it. And I, that's just, to me, that's just the worst possible thing. I have no problem if somebody wants to choose another path in life, and, and just deny the whole thing and say, listen, I have another voice, I'm following that, and the whole thing means nothing. But to say I take it seriously, and not really take it seriously, that doesn't make sense to me. That to me is a major problem. That's laziness, frankly, and just plain uh, mediocrity. That's my tantrum for this day of nittel. Uh, okay. So let's continue on, right? <laughs> These tantrums are good. They should all have such tantrums. The Altar became Neshama Chadasha to make a revolution. Is this correct? A revolution that's bigger than Facebook and bigger than Google and bigger than Microsoft and bigger than the four, what do they call The four horses. The four horsemen today. Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Apple. The Alta Rebbe came to make a bigger revolution than all four of them together. And tell me, where are we standing? It's a rhetorical question. You don't need to answer. Think about it. 
And who who's supposed to be doing it if not us? Who exactly expecting? We're going to wait, wait for what? For uh, Mark Zuckerberg? He's got his hands full with reaching a billion plus people. What's a billion? We need seven billion. He's 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 a small fry, right? Huh? <laughs> well, we're more than seven people around the table. Can we take these four horsemen? Can we take these four horsemen? Which is actually not a Jewish reference. Oh, yes, can we take these four horsemen? Amazon, Google, Facebook, and Apple, and just like leap over them all? Yeah, but I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking that uh, before we reach the seven billion, the question is can you reach the, the, the one individual? Have we proved, have we proved the, uh, the Yes, and this me on, on the record on the camera here, right? <laughs> okay, you know what? But I'm going to answer it on the record and on the camera because I have spoken about it more than once. You know, um, well, you could always, you know, the, the 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 cute answer, which avoids everything, and I've done this, of course, when you're on television, you always have answers that don't answer anything, but they sound right. You know, so we know that art too. There's the art of not answering. Is like the story of Shmuel Levitin, who's a big chassid, a chassid shayid, knew a lot of chassidists, and yet he had a certain tough side to him, some called a little uh, mean streak, you can say. So if someone has the Frida Kareb, it says chassidists, it'll taste a person, refine somebody, and makes them kinder, refiner. Look it up, Shmuel. <laughs> I guess he had insulted him or something. So the Frida Kareb, of course, said, Imagine what he'd be like. Well, the Rebbe said it, so for me, it's, 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 if I say it's a kapat, the Rebbe... Anyway, one second, let me finish, let me just say something. So Friedrich Rebbe said, what would he be like without it? Um, as I said, if I say it's a kapat, the Friedrich Rebbe said it, that means it's true, that there's no question that it does something. Now, but to answer your question, I have to answer two ways. Uh, and, and I'm being very straightforward, I'm not, I'm not going to be evasive here at all. And, uh, you, and you tell me if that's if, if I, my promise I deliver... I deliver on that promise. Um, you know, the word tinik shenishba that we use, a child that's born into captivity, which is classified as many Jews today who don't even know what Shabbos is. So how could you expect them to keep Shabbos? They don't even know what it is. Or even if they learned the Bar Mitzvah lesson, what they learned was so meaningless that you can't ex- would you expect them to embrace that. And the contrary, if they were any healthy, they'd run as fast as they could from it. I think this may sound controversial, but I really think that Tinnik Shanishba also applies to uh, most religious Jews, what we call religious, and maybe even many what call themselves Chabad. What's a Tinnik Shanishba? Tinnik Shanishba means someone that didn't learn Shabbos. I understand that. What happens if they learn Chsidis, but they didn't learn Chsidis? You can read these words just like you read anything and not, not learn it. doesn't mean anything. It's Anayim Lehem They have eyes, but they don't see. So, in that, I'm not saying this as a defense to anyone. So I know many people who 
call themselves absolute Chabadniks, but they have no idea what Chassidus is. And some never learned it. And even those that learned it may not have an idea what it is. They learned it, either Kabbalah said, listen, there are people who know Tanya by heart. You know, it's a very refining thing to know Tanya by heart, so whenever you're in the street, you can just think of words, holy words. But that doesn't mean they understand it. You could learn it without understanding it. Um, uh, and again, I'm just stating the fact. So therefore, there's number one. There are many people who've learned Chassidus and don't know Chassidus. Same thing, there are many people who eat kosher, but are not kosher, if you know what I mean. It's not integrated. They eat kosher, so what? The, the Baal Shem Tov showed his students an ox and a strimal. An ox and a strimal eating chont. So eating, doing rituals, doesn't make you into a refined person. Is it better than nothing? We can discuss that. I'm sure it is. Most religious people are cultural Jews. They grew up with it. And like any culture has a power over you, you don't usually break away from your culture. It requires some extra effort to get away. The inertia of the status quo of culture is not that easy to break away from. Even if you're a thinking person. It's a comfort zone. If they come to your parents' table and stand out and look different, human nature is not that way. Unless there's a strong reason. Which is another discussion. So there's a lot of cultural element. Is culture itself a bad thing? I just saw the article Moral Animal from Sachs in the New York Times. She makes the argument, even from an evolutionary perspective, even a non-believer, religion creates bonds, creates community. Which is a powerful thing in a very in a, in a depersonalized technological world. Community is a powerful force. Now, to me, is that a satisfying argument? You know, it, maybe for some people, I don't think it's a, it's a compelling argument. It's just a practical. Uh, definitely not. So I would say, to answer your question, my question is the same thing with if someone asked me the question, Oh, you Orthodox Jews, you think you're better people because you follow Torah? <laughs> you're a bunch of thieves, you do this, this, and that. Same thing I would say. You Chabad Hasidim, you think you're better because Chabad Hasidis? It's the same question. So my answer is we don't judge a system by people, you judge it by the system. When I talk, when people ask me this question about comparing, in any society you want to compare, you don't compare. Everybody, especially Chabad, which has no elitism, in the sense where everybody's welcome. You have Sephardic Chabad, you have Ashkenazic, you have Geza, not Geza, you have French, Chinese, whatever. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Israeli, Argentinian, American, they're all so different. You put them all, you know, Chabad itself is so different. You want to, you want to, if you want to measure, and I don't believe in measuring, but in case you want to measure, you take from two societies, you take the, the cream of the crop in both of them. And there I'm ready to tell you that the best Chabad Chassid does not Chassid this, and Nigla, and as a year Shemaim, I'll be ready to compare them to the best in any group. But if you took the whole spectrum, we have every, we have like everybody has. You got all, all spectrum, the whole spectrum of society. You have simple people, you have ignorant people, you have scum of the earth too, frankly. You know, pardon the expression. But if you talk about take the top five, then then you then you're talking. Then you see those are living by the doctrine. Same thing with the Torah. Someone that's really following the Torah properly. And then compare them to another group, there I did not be embarrassed at all. That would be my response to your question. Now, I want to just say one more thing. I don't know if our job here is to sit and measure or judge anyone in Crown Heights or anyone in the world. I look at myself. That's all that matters to me. I don't mean selfishly. Because that's the only person I can work with is me. To sit and talk about other people, to me, has always been a sign of insecurity and, uh, uh, frankly, uh, petty. And again, mediocre. Because why, why, why are we talking about other people? 
Chassidus Fabrengen was meant to be, people get Chassidus Fabrengen, to sit and talk about yourself, not talk about somebody else. That just deflects it. But the Rebbe, Friedrich Rebbe once said, it's easy to ride on someone else's horse. You know, not on your own. So frankly, all I could do really, and I would say to each of us, is we have to look into ourselves and share. What are we doing? What are we not doing? I think that's the best way to change the world. To start saying now, let's take statistics in Crown Heights, how many guys are learning Chassidus? It's, it's going to be sad statistics, so better not go there in the first place. When you go into 770 on an average day or Shabbos, I ask the question, what is the average conversation? I don't even want to talk about it. We all know what the average conversation is about. You know, it doesn't have to be spelled out. So we're not here to talk negatively. It's people gravitate to the lowest common denominator. That's the natural comfort zone. We live in a world where we're not really challenged by so-called Nazis and communists. We don't have to be a Messias Nefesh for our Yiddishkeit. So our standards become very lax and very, very uh, diluted. You know, with complacency, apathy. Now, but we have it. You know, we're sitting here learning Ayin Beis. As I said, there's the Alta Rebbe, 200 years. I just imagine what the Rebbe would be saying. So, you know, for me, maybe I was saturated with it. I heard the Rebbe, you know, every day, every day, every week. Never letting anyone be complacent. 200 years, the Alta Rebbe Alt would be turning over the whole world. You should do it. You see what he said 50 years ago. The 100, I've been reading now the Sikhs of Tavshin Chav Gimel. 1963. 50 years ago. Unbelievable. Read those Sikhs. You don't need anything. All the directives are right there. Because there's that one thing there that was done. Interestingly. So what do you need? So I'm thinking to myself, what would be 50 years later? The Rebbe will be saying the same thing and more. So I'm not even surprised. I mean, this may also sound shocking. When the Rebbe said, the before Chavches Nissen, the famous one, I did everything, now you're. I, I, I'm not shocked by that at all. He did do everything. What do you want him to do? To repeat the same thing he's been saying for 40 years? He said a thousand different ways. He said, change the world. I'm giving you all the tools. Chassidus. You have thousands of pages. Take it seriously. Turn it into a blueprint that changes the world. What do you want me more to say? What can, what can I say? Now, obviously, my emotionally, I would like the Rebbe to be here right now and say more. But let's be honest. I remember when I was 17 years old, was the year the Rebbe stopped Yechidus for, uh, for birthdays. It was Tov Shalom Adalad. Every year, we'd go in for our birthdays. You know, I went in for our bar mitzvah. Then 14, 15, 16, 17 was my last time. I remember when I was 16, 17. And it was, we just did it by mechanically. It was like, it was like an assembly line of, 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 of robots. We'd go, write a note. All I did was copy my note from last year, to be very honest. Why do I have to create a new one? Because they told you, know, a pan, this, you write, you get, you get online, the Rebbe would, and you, you went in. It was obviously awesome to be in the Rebbe's room. You saw the Rebbe there. But I said to myself, I remember, and I was a kid, and I still said, I said, what am I wasting the Rebbe's time here? What am I doing here? I came here last year. I, changed, I wrote the same note. Nothing changed. I'm the same grubber Jung. What, what am I doing here? So good. They, they, everyone does it. So I also did it. And then what do you, lo and behold, Chayel Lamedalad, the Rebbe Fabrings, and says, besides the time factor, the Rebbe's time was getting more and more people coming, the Rebbe said that we're going to be stopping the Yechidus for birthdays. And he said exactly this reason. He said, the same face, no change. He writes me the same note. I felt he was talking to me. Uh, but then I realized he was talking to all of us because we're all the same robots. The same note, I give him the same brachas, and then he comes back again next year and the same thing again. As the Rebbe said, basically. Now, obviously, as, a, as emotionally, I'd love to just stand with the Rebbe even if I'm wasting his time, right? But, but, I, but I'm not interested in wasting At some point, you come, I'm a little mature. I'm not interested in wasting the Rebbe's time. There was a big argument then by Chassidah Shabachim, which I wasn't in that category yet. 
or not ever maybe. But uh, I was younger. But the older Bachim would argue, should you go into Yechidus? When you, when you were able to go. Some said, what are you doing? Did you do anything? Did you, did you change anything in your life? You're ready to change anything? You're just coming. And others said, no, the Rebbe's our father. He's our Rebbe. Pour out everything you sold to him. Tell him about all your Avedis. Ah, you're not going to change? But he has to know. Maybe something will happen. And I always wondered which category. I was never, I, I never reached that age. I was 17. I was still relatively... I, I probably would be in the, in, the, in the former category. I would probably not go. Because, and I, because I, I, I would say to myself, what am I doing exactly? Am I ready to really work on myself? Are you ready to really control your Yetzirah and the things you ask the Rebbe about? Or you just want him to give you a magical blessing? I'm just telling you personally. I'm not saying to anybody, everybody can make their own choices. But I say to myself, as a mature adult right now, uh, more mature, let's put it this way, than I was, um, that the Rebbe said exactly what he said. He's absolutely right. He gave us everything. What else do we need? Seven generations of Rabbeim gave us a blueprint. What have we done with it? If the Rebbe was here physically now, another 20 years, since, what is it, 18 years since Gimel Tammuz, we'd have another 18 years of Maimorim Exodus. And based on the track record of what was before, we'd be doing exactly with it what we did till now. Tell me. You know, at some point, is it a waste of time or not? I know this sounds sacrilegious, but I'd like... I'm not, I'm, I'm, by the way, I'm talking to myself here. I just happen to have an audience. Um, so I, I say to myself, there's a part of me, my Yetzirah even, I feel the pride of wanting to change the world with Chassidus. Because that's what the Rabbeim wanted to do. And I cannot stand the fact... I talk now simply from a competition point of view that there's a Facebook and an Amazon and an Apple and a Google and we're not even in the same league. That bothers me tremendously. You tell me, is it my ego? No, I don't think it's pure ego. I think it's a good cause. But it's also ego. So what's wrong? Let's use the ego for that purpose. Everyone's using it anyway for making money or trying to make money. So might as well use it for making money and making this, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, that's my... This is all shot in Heid Vohadar of the pedicle of Dalit of IMB. <laughs> But you don't know. But 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 you're looking at others. You're looking at others. Look at yourself. And you're pessimistic. Yeah, I mean, yes, I guess so. I mean, you're sort of pessimistic about you're pessimistic about yourself. I think you were saying that you know why am I going to the Rebbe? I'm the same Bachar. He gave me the brachas. I know what I have to learn. Especially you. You know all the sefasidus. And are you really changing so much yourself? Were you? And what you indicated is that you didn't change so much as a Bachar. Maybe now you have. Well, what I'm just trying to say Not really. is that this, if, if we can't prove that this system, the equation works, the, the program works on a limited basis, even here to people that know Hasidus, that have learned it, and you don't really see this dramatic change of, of Bainini. We should be producing Bainini, right? Say for Bainini. We should be, uh, do we see many Bainini's around here? I don't know. If you do... Until by Mitzvah, they're Bainini's. I must respond to this. Oh, no. It's an excellent question, but one second. But it's not the first time we've talked about this, right? It's an excellent question. And I, and I have to use the Rebbe's own words to answer this question. This was a big debate over all the years of the Rebbe's leadership. I remember this as a Bukhar later, earlier. 
Everyone talked about this. What, what did the Rebbe's view was on Avoidus Hashem? Avoid. You know, there was once a time where the Rebbe Rashab, the Friedrich Rebbe, they wrote Kuntus Atfila, Kuntus Avoida, and, and, and it was demanded that a Bokhir has to sit and daven hours. Physically daven hours. People would go to Paris, Brunois, and they would see Rab Nissen sit five, six hours davening. That alone changed people's lives. They couldn't believe a man sits like that. You know. So this was the whole thing of, of working on yourself, especially through davening. And then came, and the Rebbe, even though the Rebbe mentions Avedis Atfil, and obviously did not change any doctrine, but in practical, the Rebbe's real demand was go on shlichus. Go out there, build. That's what he said. He, didn't, he never said, I want half of you to stay here and daven all day. Or one of two or three of you. It was basically activism. So, so the question is really, did the Rebbe change doctrine? God forbid. But maybe times have changed. Which means, today, first of all, the, the fires of ignorance and assimilation are burning. Pekoch nefesh. He can't be sitting under a talus. When the fire is burning and saying, i got to take care of my bir hamidus. There's a fire outside. That's one end. But I don't believe that was, it was just as simple as that. I think it's a deeper thing here. Because I remember a few sikhs, more than a few, in studying this. Number one, the Rebbe would never change the doctrine of chassidus. God forbid, it's not shaykh. The Alter Rebbe established a system. The Rebbe's not coming and suddenly say, you know what, six generations of Avedis at and now we're only into learning chassidus and doing mifzayim. No way. And, and just look at any sikh of the Rebbe. Every sikh of the Rebbe was difficult sikh. The Rebbe didn't speak simple things. His whole, his, everything was hard work. It was hard work to hear the Rebbe and understand. The Rebbe was not a simple speaker that he spoke five minutes in inspiration. It was made you, there was a Veda in that itself. So I'm convinced, there's no question in my mind, that it's not just a matter of taint of time, which it also is. There's more assimilation and all that. And remember, in times of the Alter Rebbe, even time of the Rebbe Rashab, what access did we have to uh, an outside world besides the few shtetlach we lived in? There was no technology. All you had was your shtetl. Besides those circumstantial factors, I think there's a divine factor. You know, Exodus, it says that every generation has its birur. You know, we all start with Adam Arishan. The early generations were the head of Adam, Moichin. Then came the Avaid of Midas, which was Chesed, Gvurit, Teferis, time of Mishra, Beinu, Beis Amigdosh. Then comes Golos, which is Nehi, the lowest part of the body. That's what it says in Chassidus. We're called Ikvus of the Meshicha because all those nine, genera- nine levels have been f- f- primarily dealt with. Our main Aveda is in Netzach and Heid, the Maimorim say, in Maisa, like the foot soldiers. You know, not that we shouldn't learn Tehra, not that we shouldn't have Aveda, but primarily our main thing is action. And we, go, we stand on the, soldier, the f- shoulders of giants, which means we are accumulative. It's not instead of what they did then. Whatever they, every Aved of Chassidim, five, a generation ago, two generations ago, is in our credit too. It also shapes us. I think what the Rebbe was saying was that Aveda today, Aveda Satfila today, is if you go to a community and you learn Chassidus and teach Chassidus, and you teach people how to daven, and you do it with them, it will be the best way for you to get to that place. In other words, the easiest way today to inspire yourself is to inspiring others. And maybe the Chassidim Roshayim of the Alter Rebbe did not have quite the same, because maybe they had it within them. Like in the time of the Beis Amigdash, maybe they were able to generate it from above, whatever, Susa Delayla. Today, I personally think, and this is my answer to you, and, I'm, and, and I take, cut out the word pessimism, I can't stand that word, it's hepech everything I know and everything of the Rebbe, so... No, no. 
The key thing is to understand this. We're sitting here and learning Ayin Beis or Chassidus is for us to inspire each other and absolutely turn this into a blueprint for others with tefillah and everything and that's the best way for us to become more that's my response to you. So I would not look at, okay, what, what, how come it didn't have an impact? You're basically speaking like a businessman. You're saying to me, you want my venture capital? Show me what you've done so far. Let's take your pilots. Let me see what, what your formula has done. And I look around and it hasn't done. I'm, I'm not, I don't have confidence in it. If you can't get it done in your own environment, why should I give you a million dollars to bring it to an environment that's hostile to this? I understand what you're saying. So my response to that, and uh, maybe you write a check after this, <laughs> uh, a spiritual check, is like this. My response, <laughs> my response, by the way, is, my response to you is, I would say, you're absolutely right. But my model is not what you're saying. I'm not telling you that it's worked here. I'm telling you that we only have seven generations of it and we have a formula that I can show you some examples of how it's worked. But right now, everybody needs it. From Crown Heights to everyone. So I'm not giving you, I'm not going to give you a sample of, of a, a laboratory where I see it's worked. I can't, I can only show you individuals. And I, there are individuals for sure. And if you said to me, bring those individuals to the table, I'll bring them to the table. But I'm not going to bring a community. I'll bring individuals. Now, some of them may be sitting right here at this table, too. Now, I think, and our job is to have confidence. Yes, it would be hard for a venture capitalist to buy this, because he'll say, I have not learned this. So unless you show me that it's working, and I'll say to you, how many people do you need for me to work? If you told me you need 100 people, I'll bring you 100 people. I'm just you know, speaking your language. I, I, honestly, it's not the number of people. I would have to say that it's still in its infancy. And that we haven't done the job, and I need we need angel investors here. We're going to take a little more risk than just showing you a thousand people that have already bought the drank the Kool Aid, because it's not a good example. Uh, uh, an average Lubavitcher, it's true. I would not use them as an example. Not that everybody is beautiful people and everyone does great things, but as an example of transformation that you're discussing, you're not going to you're going to be hard pressed to find it uh, in real real. But I will tell you this. And I want to add one thing. I think it's going to be easier to change secular people than so-called Lubavitchers. So your investment will be well worth it because don't look, you know, <laughs> that's what I would say. And, I, and I'm absolutely confident of this. I have no question in my mind. Look, psychological models are out there right now. There is the, the Buddhist, there's the New Age, there's the Tony Robbins of the world, the Deepak Chopras, the Wayne Dyers. I can make the whole list. The question is, is our goods as good as theirs, if not better? I can tell you right now, it's absolutely better. So let's prove it. And by the way, I'm ready to say that if we can't prove it, then we failed. Fine. But I have no, I'm, I'm not concerned because I know we could prove it. So we need money now to, uh, sir, to, uh, to, 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 to prove it. But it's not the money. You understand? I'm, I understand. I'm, uh, uh, and your, your, your confidence that you can prove it not on you. You self-admitted that it hasn't really shown itself successful here. And the reason why... No, individuals, you know, I have individuals. I can't say communal. Like someone walks down King's Avenue and just plucks everyone out and says, wow, these are all transformed people. I wish it was true. If you're going to invest in a new drug, you know, if you're going to invest in a new... 
when you when it's time, when you have a drug, you have a new drug, you have a small sample, but you have also and success rates. You have success rates in drugs. Than and than if you don't have a proper trials that show a but you have to also know what's not happening. The things that you don't know about. The things behind the scenes that are very, very. Uh, 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 and, uh, and I don't know if the numbers are less here than other communities. Would you invest in that as a I've been there. Anyway, the point of the matter is I, I'll tell you one thing. For me, uh, I'm, abs- I'm, I'm supremely confident in the power of the formula. I'm supremely confident in its impact. And I'm supremely I would even tell you that if we did it right, we would be able to measure results. I'm not just saying theories and stuff like that. I think we could measure results. And, and what we spoke with this whole started was, by the way, causation means a system that you can one thing can cause another. Not just you know there's hate. Sure. How do you bring hate into hadir and hadir into the next levels? The Look, the expression is Isaiah says it perfectly. God looked into the Torah, the blueprint, and created Barnash, Barnash or Bnei Yisrael. I think Barnash. And a human being is talk about Isaac a Kayam Alma. And we human beings are meant to look at this blueprint and preserve or sustain the world. So there's a blueprint. There's a bl- exactly, there's a blueprint. A blueprint that the way it was the process the engineer gave us his engineering plans, and we can replicate it to realign all the distortions. Simple as that. See so his engineering plans of how the whole thing works, how one thing leads to the next causation. And how we can retrace the steps and take a broken machine and realign it all the way back and better. That's in a nutshell. Uh, in a microcosm, that means an individual life. Yes, the best way to, to demonstrate this is to take somebody who's dysfunctional, began, through this and its models and its formulas, has improved and transformed their lives and their healthy, functional husband or father or mother or wife. And building their life doesn't mean that they solved all their problems. No, but there's a work function, a workable, there's a working model. Can you find examples of this today? You can. You're not going to find thousands, but you're going to find some. Not every baltruva is an example, because some maybe you could, if you're real scientists, you could say some maybe were drawn to this, not necessarily always for the healthiest reasons. Maybe process of elimination. What they had in their world was far worse, and this this was nurturing. This was family, and then you'll have. You know, I say baltruva. I don't believe the word baltruva. You know what I'm talking about? People that so-called, because that would be an example. Someone born into it, you could say, hey, that's just cultural. It would have to be someone who's drawn to it. Why were you drawn to it? And there's challenges there. By the way, I'm challenged many times. Secular thinking people I deal with, psychologists who are smart, they come to my classes, they ask me, they say, tell me, this Hasidic model that you're saying, can you show me people who become healthier families and so on? And they want to study not just them, they want to see their children and grandchildren, obviously. Because if you could demonstrate that, you have the secret of life. Now, I have no doubt that God gave us, that, that from this perspective, God created life, gave us the blueprint, gave us chassidus, and our job is to turn it into such a model. And I think it could be done. And I'm not talking about just an intel, for intellectuals. Intellectuals maybe are the teachers, are the, the, the conceivers. But this needs to be turned into a workable plan for everybody. I mean, the Alter Rebbe said he did not create, he did not give chassidus for a party, maflege. He didn't want it for elite, because some argued, you know, chassidus is for the elite. You got to be a certain caliber of intelligence. You have to be interested. You have to be spiritual. But he didn't say that. He said it's for everyone. I, I sometimes wonder. I meet people and I don't see any spirituality, and they're not even interested. God tell me, I understand money and women. What do you tell? I don't understand anything else. What are you telling me these things? 
And I hear this all the time. Don't say that because then your drawing to chassidus will be seen as because you didn't understand it. That's why this is like default. I told you the story about the guy that what chassidus did to him, how he knew it was true. Because it took away this taiva. Taiva's notion, that's what he told me. I don't know if I'd use him as a model because he's a different character altogether. But... uh, um, Look, there are many ways to go here with this. How to turn this into an actual product and how to replicate it. I don't think it's one way. I think it, it includes psychological models that help people in a therapeutic and psychological context for sure. You know, but I think it also there's also elements of it that are um, that are practical. I mean, there's a lot of dimensions how to do this. You know, that's it. Well, what time is it? What? It's eleven. Um, we're doing good. So let me just see here. Where are we going to stop here? What are we going to do? Okay, I think we should stop here because this is a heavy chapter. But let me just sum up at least so we say what we learned here. So he's beginning to explain how there's spheres in Bligvul. And essentially the point is that it's clar- it's clarity. I think a good example for this would be Let's say somebody conceives of building a structure. So he's the the idea guy, you know. That that idea is then translated by an architect or engineers into a blueprint, right? Then they hire and turn a contractor, and you start hiring all the people you need: electricity and plumbing and the schematics, whatever it takes to build the whole thing, right? Now they're starting to build the details, the building blocks. Now you need to have someone that's aligning it to the kavana, the plan. Or else suddenly the plumbers will say, you know what, that doesn't really work here, let's change this. This one will say, let's change that. So you need someone that's controlling, someone that's directing the project. And the director is essentially aligning the plan to the details. Now the details here, let's call them the esospheres. They're the building blocks. They're the... Chachma here, Bina here, Chesed here, Gvura, right? But they have to be informed by Keser, which is the Rotzen, the plan, which in turn is informed by the real heart and soul of the Creator. It's not just a plan on paper, it's also his, what he really wants out of this building. So you could say Hoid is the first level, is the Etzema Er, is like the pure uh, light, core light of what in the deepest part of the heart and soul of this conceiver, what he wants out of this structure. This Pashtusa'ir, which is called Hadar here, is already how it's manifesting, not in a plan yet, but in some type of expression. He's saying, here's what I want. That in turn will become a, a type of global plan, which in turn will become the ten spheres. So the word spheres means both number, the details, but they also mean brightness. So it depends what you're asking. If you look at, if you go and you see the details in the building, you say, what are we focusing on? If you want to focus on the living room, the dining room, the kitchen, right? So then you're focusing on the, on the sphere as a number or story, telling you a deeper story. That's the next level. 
But if you want to focus on the brightness of it, I want to know what is the soul of this building? What is the soul of this living room? What is its real, deeper, deep, innermost meaning? Then sphere is from the word brightness, then you have to go to the Erha Bligvul. Because that's going to give you far more picture of how it is from Kili Etzem, what the Etzem wants out of this, as opposed to the actual details of the structure. So I think what you have here is both like the air of the Kalim of the spheres. That's like the more the misper the number. You have the story, which is really the iris within the kalim and higher. Until you go all the way to the iratsmi, which gives you the brightest picture in the clearest way. So only one that knows that is the conceiver himself. As soon as it starts being translated to others, it's going to become more and more diminished. It's another way of explaining this. And I think when we talk about we're talking about a blueprint, you want to be able to Touch people in that place. When you want to touch someone, they give you a problem. You don't want to just function, deal with them on the functional level. You want to get to their heart and soul of where they are, what their etzim ha-nefesh is like. You touch someone in their etzim ha-nefesh, you got them. You touch them in the externals, it's, it's superficial. So you want their etzim to inform their externals, basically. You want to reach the deepest part of the engineering room and rewire, so to speak, realign, and then their behavior life should change. So it's... That's the that's the causation, the process. Okay, we'll stop here. We did the beginning of chapter Kuchav Dalad, page two forty, and we shall resume.